0: Welcome to Ars Equi, the podcast on all things law and technology. I'm Tima.
1: I'm Paul. And on this episode, a porn law recap. Welcome to this new series of Ars Equi. Today, and with the few episodes coming to going towards the end of the year, we want to recap what we did so far on the podcast and we want to give you an outlook on what will happen in tech and law and policy uh, in the future. And so we try to uh, summarize what we did so far, look back, look forward a bit.
0: Yeah. So today we're going to start by looking back at one of our more popular series, probably because it has to do with porn. (laughs) But... um, Porn law, right? Porn law, I think, is a series that everyone really enjoyed. And a lot of our colleagues, you know, talked about it because in the legal field, it's not really something that we really talk about that much. Honestly,
1: like the the kind of response we got was surprising.
0: Yeah. People are into porn. Yeah.
1: (laughs) 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 Into porn law specifically. I'm joking. I'm professional.
0: So today we want to kind of do a little bit of a recap of what we talked about Mm -hmm. and talk about what Updates have happened in the law, in the entire space, socially, how things have changed since that episode or those series of episodes Mm. aired.
1: So if you haven't been around already, about a year ago, so it was, I think, October 2020, uh, we had a whole series about the law of internet pornography. And we looked in a couple episodes at different aspects on this. Uh, and there's been changes and we want to update you.
0: Yeah. So firstly, our first episode, if you go back, we spoke about shut down Pornhub. And this was essentially a petition calling governments and regulators to shut, down, to shut down one of the biggest internet pornography sites in the world, which is Pornhub, for allegations of human trafficking and exploitation of women and so on, right? And basically, the petition was saying that Pornhub is doing little to nothing to control the content that is posted on its website Is not reviewing whether this content is legal or not. So we kind of explored data protection questions, we looked at platform regulation questions, protection of minor, we talked about all these different things in that episode. Then episode two
1: was OnlyFans. So Mm -hmm. this is the new platform that uh, was all the rage back in 2020 and still is quite popular. It's essentially Instagram for pornography. So, or Patreon for pornography. Yeah. Uh, so essentially, what you can do is you can post uh, porn of your own nudes online and um, then get paid for it by others, by subscribers uh, that will subscribe to your services.
0: Yes. And then, episode three, we talked about content removal and we focused on revenge porn. And essentially, revenge porn is, of course, when pornographic content of yourself that you may have taken or you know, given to someone with your consent is then illegally or improperly disposed to the public. Mm -hmm. So that's essentially what revenge porn is. And we'd looked at the legal consequences of it and like perspectives from different legal systems. So that was the three episodes and we'll Mm -hmm. put the links below if anybody wants to check them out. So now today we're going to talk about, so what's changed in a year in the area of internet pornography and the law.
1: Right. So maybe we'll start right with Pornhub because there were some major changes. Yeah. Uh, So what is new? So the major news in this is the deletion of like 80% of its content.
0: Yeah. So Pornhub got it deep, honestly. Like after that petition... Um, I like to say our podcast Had something to do with it (laughs) After the petition And everyone You know Really talking about Mm -hmm. this And getting involved In millions and millions And millions of signatures On this petition And the New York Times Wrote this like groundbreaking expose article things got really intense for Pornhub yeah and there was a whole entire investigation conducted that resulted in a lot of loss for the company
1: so the main driver in this was financial obviously of course so visa and mastercard and also paypal decided to not offer support on so not accept payments from uh Pornhub users anymore so you can't pay using your credit card or PayPal anymore on the website.
0: Exactly. And then you also had um, Roku, which is like a smart TV multimedia player giant banning streaming of Pornhub on its devices. And also Comcast severed ties with Pornhub. So Pornhub was losing a lot of money because of the petition and because of people really talking about it. And as a result, they ended up, reviewing their sites and removing um almost 80% of the content because they could not verify whether this content was um legal or not whether there was consent in the videos whether the people in the videos were of the legal age to be performing sexual acts and so on so that's what ended up happening
1: so they try to be better about this now so after deleting uh, so initially they had 13.5 million videos in December of 2020 and after distillation they ha- now have 2.5 million videos
0: crazy So
1: it's like it is crazy.
0: almost 80% yeah. of your websites you could not verify if that was legal content or right. not and and they try
1: to be better about this now so what they have in in their procedure now, and according to this, their uh, transparency report that they are now releasing. Uh, so first, uh, when you upload a video, you have to have your identity proven, so they, they only verified users can upload content, plus after you've uploaded, this gets scanned automatically, they are cooperating apparently with Google slash YouTube and Microsoft on this, uh, who have similar issues and, and have similar software developed. Uh, plus then after this, and this actually surprised me, they have human reviewers watching every video that gets uploaded and approving it manually before it goes live. I think so this is good. It, it is. It is a good change.
0: Yeah, it's a good change because at the end of the day, it's not like we're going to get rid of pornographic platforms. Mm. There's too much of an economic benefit for us right. to say that they will completely go away. But if these, the leader in the game, which is essentially Pornhub, if they are taking responsibility, if they're setting kind of industry standards, mm-hmm. like this is the bare minimum of what needs to happen, then I think that's good. I think it will trickle down to the smaller sides and we won't have to see such a massive uproar internationally before anything gets done. Yeah,
1: and I mean, it's crazy how big of a platform Pornhub is. Insane. It has 100 million visits a day and 36 billion visits per year.
0: It it's literally huge. has more visitors than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. Wow. That's insane. Yeah, it's it's insane huge. it is huge. It's insane to think that a platform that big was not... Ever in a position where it had to check its content like mm. they were you could upload anything on Pornhub like you didn't even have to it was before these new measures mm. it was a free for all anybody could upload anything at any point I mean
1: people uh, uploaded pirated content on Pornhub because they didn't check whether it was copyright infringement or not uh, so this is the kind of level of scrutiny that they applied.
0: Yeah, but I think what's great to see about this petition and kind of the uproar on social media and everything is that as a collective public, mm-hmm. we can exercise our voice, right? Yeah. We can push private companies to do things. Right. We don't need to wait for regulators and legislators to get to write proposals and come up with regulations and so on. We can individually push at companies who depend on our money to make changes that are beneficial for right. us right and
1: even not only like maybe not directly to Pornhub but yeah. at least by uh, intermediaries so the credit card companies for
0: exactly example. but I mean you know the credit card companies wouldn't have done what they did mm. if there wasn't such exactly. a public outcry yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that was
1: maybe some maybe some stats uh-huh. quickly from the transparency report because I found this quite interesting. They removed six hundred thousand videos during the year for violation of their terms and services. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, um, illegal content, so child sexual sexual abuse ma- material or um, uh, unconsensual um, videos, uh, and this is about the same number as they had to take down for copyright infringement.
0: Okay.
1: So this kind of gives you an idea how how problematic this, this the, the platform, the content that they have is.
0: So, I mean, we'll, we'll keep watching Pornhub. <laughs> and let's see. You I mean, know, that's,
1: that's a bit <laughs> ambiguous.
0: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Paul, I'm saying we'll keep watching to see if they implement these measures that they've put in their transparency report, And we really hope that they do. We really hope that, you know, they're able to create a space where things are safe. Mm-hmm. We don't, we, we want a space where people can access content that they want mm. but there's also safety measures being put in place
1: yeah so another thing that we discussed in this episode was this age verification discussion right, right. so uh, what we talked about was that the UK had plans to implement age verification measures on porn websites and this was problematic mm. for several reasons I
0: mean we last time we spoke about like the pros and cons mm. right and we said that in in theory, it sounds great, mm. but in practice, it doesn't really make much sense because, firstly, people can always use a VPN to bypass these restrictions. And also, you have social media sites like Twitter, Reddit. Um, Tumblr, yep. Instagram, that also have a certain level of pornographic material, and they were not going to be covered by this porn ban, as it was being called. Yeah. So it was kind of like one of those things where the government was trying to do something, but we w- we just felt that in practice it wasn't that effective.
1: And and at the same time, it might violate your privacy because you have to... Um connect your identity, your real world identity with, you know, your porn preferences.
0: Exactly. And that causes a whole range of data protection mm. issues, especially because this data would be linked to your sexual life, your sexual orientation, sexual preferences. And that makes it like extremely sensitive data. And it just, it would, we just said, eh, not, not a great idea. Yeah. So I guess they decided that maybe we were right or maybe other activists activists who were saying the same things were right and the UK decided to go against the scheme. Mm -hmm. So they cancelled the scheme and they decided not to go ahead with it. Um, However, this has had kind of Strange repercussions that I wouldn't have guessed would have happened. But when they decided to cancel this scheme, a number of companies had already dedicated their time and money to developing age verification systems. So there's a bunch of companies, um, Age Checked, AV Yourself, AV Secure, who are basically now arguing that this going against the ban is an abuse of power and that the government did not have does not have the power to decide to completely halt a mm. scheme that they had already put in place and put forward to the public without kind of public consultation and so on mm. and also what they should have done was Paused it for a little while, but not completely cancelled the whole thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is also like an interesting legal quirk because they already had passed the law mm. and are now just refusing to implement
0: it. Exactly. So it's kind of a
1: weird legal situation.
0: Yeah, so it's so now there's a judicial review that has been launched to see if you know the actions of the government were justified mm-hmm. when they canceled the scheme. And also the companies that I mentioned earlier are seeking damages for the loss that they've suffered based on the time and money that they've spent developing these. Um, Verification tools. Interesting.
1: There is a similar legal case in Germany going on right now because they are trying to. Uh, there's a government office in Nordrhein-Westfalen, I think it was, trying to block Pornhub in Germany for mm. um, potential um, age verification violations. So they are not doing enough to block children from using their site. And what is interesting about this so what is going on right now is that they try to block it and um, Pornhub And I mean, Pornhub isn't explicitly mentioned in the mm. case, but it's three porn companies based in Cyprus. So and so it's implied. It's implied yeah. that this is Pornhub and a couple of others are based in Cyprus as well. Um, and so now they, they filed an emergency injunction against this. This took one and a half years, this emergency case. Um, and now on the 30th of November, the a court in, in Dusseldorf and tried, uh, <laughs> decided that um, this ban was okay, okay. or at least uh, dismissed this this emergency injunction. So, but the, the procedure is still ongoing and it's not banned right now, but how it looks, it, it might be soon.
0: Okay, so Germany might move forward with this whole idea of a porn ban based on this issue of age verification. Exactly,
1: right? because they argued that there is... Um, measures that parents can take to ban their children from visiting sites like this, like there are parental controls. And Pornhub on the website is arguing that this is enough, mm. but Germany says, no, it isn't.
0: Which is fair. I mean, that was exactly the same argument that the UK was coming right. from. So I think it'll be interesting to see how far this goes in Germany if they decide to keep pushing forward with this. And what, how will it be different from what the UK was proposing? And mm. will it work in practice?
1: Right. And what is also interesting on a legal side in this is that uh, the e-commerce directive lays down the so-called country of origin principle? Mm-hmm. So essentially, only the country of origin may regulate a service like Pornhub, for example. Mm-hmm. And in th- this case, this would be Cyprus and not Germany. Uh, but there is an exception to protect, like youth development or something. Uh, and Germany is saying, hey, this is the case, especially for this, and they can regulate this.
0: Okay. All right. So that was. Episode one, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the previous episode one was where we (laughs) talked about Pornhub and all that. And then episode two, we kind of switched gears and we spoke about OnlyFans, Mm -hmm. which, like Paul said earlier, in 2020 was all the rage. Everybody was talking about OnlyFans or trying to get on OnlyFans. And basically... A lot of things have changed with OnlyFans since then. So since that time in 2020, earlier this year, OnlyFans announced that it would be blocking sexually explicit content from its platform. Mm -hmm. The company basically wanted to rebrand and I guess go a little bit more towards the Instagram direction Mm. or the TikTok direction as opposed to being associated with pornography.
1: Yeah, so uh, again here, financial pressure was the reason. Mm. Because you'd think with this boom, uh, in, in only fans and apparently being worth more than $1 billion, uh, you'd think that investors might be interested in, in investing money, but there are certain limitations to this. And because it's porn, uh many people are afraid to do so. Uh, so they had a financial problem right. and so they decided to ban porn on the website, which is like, I didn't see any statistics on this, but it's like more than 99%.
0: Yeah, so the band made no sense. Yeah. And I mean, for them financially, mm. but like for the user, it made no sense. Right. And there was huge backlash from creators and users who were basically saying, you can't do this, don't do this. And basically due to the pressure that came from its its users, um, OnlyFans decided to suspend mm-hmm. this potential ban. So the question now is, will this happen? Will they do a rebrand or will they create another company? Mm. So we don't really know what's going to happen, but I think like if I was a content creator on OnlyFans, I would be very nervous Mm. because at any point in time, the company can decide that it doesn't; it no longer wants a certain type of content, and you have to comply with that.
1: Exactly, and there have been new companies being created, and I think this is an interesting market right. uh, dynamic as well because there are now competitors. Mm. Um, but there's no one company that you know kind of caught all of the the um, backlash of this and the creators leaving the platform. But this is really an economic, like it, it is a factor, like 300 users make more than $1 million on this platform and 16,000 users make more than 50,000 euros, uh, dollars, US dollars. So you can imagine that this is the livelihood of so many people that are dependent on this platform.
0: So one thing that came to my mind, especially when you say that, and when we think, when we were talking about this whole ban, no ban situation Mm. is what happens? Like what, what do you as a content creator, what is your right of recourse? What happens to you if OnlyFans decides tomorrow that it no longer wants to have explicit content on its on its website or on its app? This is no longer favorable mm. for its investors, and it wants to go a different mm. direction.
1: So there's two million content creators on on OnlyFans, mm. and they make 150 euro, uh, dollars on average per month, which isn't too much, but still, it's money being made, yeah. and and people depending on this money, ah, uh, and and this is something that we see. Um, in, in other platforms as well. Like we see this on Uber, for example. Yeah. Uh, so the, the, the kind of headline of this is platform economy or gig economy. Uh, and what we're seeing is that more and more people are dependent on these platforms without any recurse for them shutting down or just banning them.
0: Yes, and what we see is that the platforms make it very explicit mm. in their terms of use, that they have no loyalty to you as a content creator or like a user of the platform. Mm. OnlyFans explicitly says, we may make changes or suspend or withdraw OnlyFans at any time for any reason, including to reflect upon our users' needs or our business practices. Or for any, like, so for any reason, they can decide to no longer give you access, mm. either as an individual or as a collective or the creators with, who are creating explicit content. You could lose the ability to post anything on OnlyFans solely based on a unilateral decision made by the company. Yeah, and this
1: makes you think what would happen to the content if uh, the platform decided to shut down or reduce the, the um or to ban at least pornographic content. Because this content is valuable. There's 100%. billions, there's $2 billion uh, dollars being made on this platform. Exactly. So what would happen? Would they just delete it?
0: I don't think so. Because what's interesting in the terms of use is that mm. they have this license. Mm-hmm. And this license essentially grants, so you, by um, consenting to the terms of use, you grant only uh perpetual, non-exclusive, worldwide, royalty-free, sub-licensable, assignable and transferable license. Mm -hmm. Meaning that OnlyFans can continue to have this license over your content even after your agreement with OnlyFans comes to an end. Or if you stop using mm-hmm. OnlyFans, they still have huge rights in relation to your content. So this means that OnlyFans can essentially produce, make available, communicate to the public, display, perform, distribute, translate, create adaptations or derivatives or derivative works of your content, whether or not you're still in contract with OnlyFans or not.
1: So essentially, they can do whatever you want, yes. whatever they want, which. I mean, it goes very far.
0: It's so wild to me. It's Firstly, it's wild to me that anybody who read this terms of use would have con- continued to use the platform.
1: Nobody except for us read it. Like,
0: I, <laughs> it actually gave me anxiety when I read yeah. this.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like, it's, it's so much value that is being stored there. So there's so much economic incentive to use this.
0: Yeah, so we were saying that if OnlyFans was to ban explicit content. Mm. Would they then just delete all that content from their platform? We believe that that's potentially true. They could delete the content mm. from their platform, but we feel like they would probably sell this content or sell the license of this content to a pornographic platform that would then purchase all of this pornographic material and put it on its platform and make money from right. it anyways. And, and
1: legally, at least from copyright law, you'd have no recourse against this. There's maybe a data protection uh, question that yeah. you could do, but like simply looking at this like ec- economic um, perspective that mm. actually copyright law should protect you, um, there's no, not much you can do.
0: Yeah. And it just, I think it puts content creators at a really challenging spot because one, you don't really have any rights if the platform decides that you can no longer make money on it. And two, you don't really have any rights with regards to the content that you've already put on the platform. And that platform can continue to make money from that content, even though they've said um, publicly that now they're moving in a different direction. Right. Right. I I think it's
1: an interesting general trend. This mm. um, kind of regulation of pornography on the internet. A, a headline in the Washington Post was: "The internet was built on a foundation of pornography, but companies keep trying to forget that in pursuit of respectability." Yeah, and it's it's interesting. So now, essentially, this happened to Pornhub, at least to a certain extent. I, I'm not saying that this is bad. Um, but it's it's a certain trend. Now OnlyFans wants to uh, ban pornographic content or wanted to. Uh, and an interesting thing is that Tumblr also did a similar thing. So in uh, 2018, they deleted all of their pornographic content, which led to a 50% drop in their users. Mm. And in 2013, it was sold to Tumblr for $1.1 billion. And now in 2020, it was sold for $3 million so it's like a,
0: the value has gone down
1: on 99.7% drop in value
0: crazy do you think i mean if i'm just thinking out loud do you think that a lot of this shift from wanting to have more respectable content mm-hmm. on a platform aside from you know public perception and so on and so forth and investors and things do you think it has something to do with the fact that the people using the internet the age is getting younger and younger mm-hmm. and perhaps if you want to be a platform that continues to grow over time. You need to be able to attract younger people. And, or I'm, you know, I'm just thinking out loud, like that yeah. could be potentially one of the reasons to like reach a younger demographic, you can't have porn, porn on your platform. I mean,
1: honestly, I'm not sure. Like, for example, Reddit has both, con- so I, I think it's very rare to see Platforms doing both, so mm. both pornographic and non-pornographic content.
0: Tumblr was that. Tumblr was that. Mm. Reddit is
1: that still. Mm. Um, but apart from this, like Facebook always had a very strict nudity policy. Yeah. So I think it's interesting. I think it's mostly economic or public perception. So yeah. it's hard to get money when you're a pornographic. Uh, so like investing. Yeah. Um, if you're a pornographic platform, uh, and you're always a bit dingy if you're doing porn
0: true (laughs) okay um and then like piggybacking off of that what we talked about in the final episode Mm -hmm. of the porno series was revenge porn and oftentimes these platforms that we're discussing become avenues where revenge porn is then posted or publicized right Mm. and revenge porn is essentially just the illegal posting or uploading or sharing publicly of um sexually explicit content that somebody gave you, you guys had some sort of relationship or agreement with each other, and they gave you this content on a confidential basis, and then you go and you share it with the public.
1: Right. So this is still an issue, and there's initiatives against this, Um, and there's an especially interesting initiative uh, on a European level, right?
0: Yeah, and this is so... Cool, because it's something that's quite new, and it goes a little bit beyond revenge porn. So essentially, there's this um, open letter, which was written by a conglomerate of women um, from all over the EU who have faced online sexual abuse and harassment. So it's not just limited to um, revenge porn, but there's a lot of um, there's a lot of different stories of women getting filmed at festivals or something illegally filmed at festivals without their knowledge and this information being shared online and so on and so forth. And they basically want EU policymakers to include an amendment to the Digital Services Act, which is still in proposal phase. And they basically want EU policymakers to include special provisions in the Digital Services Mm -hmm. Act that will specifically target pornographic websites and will target platforms that have um, content that could be deemed to be classified as online sexual abuse of content.
1: Yeah. So what the DSA wants to do, the Digital Services Act, is regulate the liability of online platforms again. uh, So in like a new kind of framework for this. And they want to insert a specific provision for uh, porn platforms, which A, you um, need to um, be verified to post content. You, uh, the platform needs a human content moderation that you can um, contact if if you have uh, doubts that something is illegal. Uh, that something is legal, uh, and um, there needs to be a procedure for you to kind of contact the platform and claim something is illegal, and they need to check this. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because most of the revenge porn. Um, legislation that we had so far targets the person who uploads it, which is important, obviously. Um, But this goes beyond this uh, and and targets the platform.
0: Yeah, and I think that's great because oftentimes, you know, platforms say they have a specific procedure that you have to go through Mm -hmm. and there's several steps and so on. But a lot of reports have shown that when women are trying to use the platform's procedures and get content removed, it's a really long process. It takes a lot of time. They're really the platforms come from a perspective of they don't want to remove the content. So you have to really like, you have a high burden of proof to prove that this content needs to be removed. Whereas what um, this proposal to the DSA is requiring is that platforms take it for granted Mm. that content could potentially be illegal and take steps to review content even before it reaches the point where an individual has to contact them about the content. And,
1: and if they get content uh, contacted and if they at least uh, show some proof, some evidence that this might be, Uh, uploaded against your bill, then they have to remove it within at least 48 hours or they would be held liable for this.
0: I think that's great. I think this is a good effort. And I think this is something that should be included in the Digital Services Act. So, I mean, October of this year, the European Parliament's Committee on Women's Rights and Gender Equality, basically stemming from this open letter, adopted all of these suggestions in its opinion on the digital services Act. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna see how far this goes, but I think that's really cool.
1: Yeah, so it is really like in the formal process of legislation.
0: Yes, so that's great. And that could be a huge win for revenge porn and a huge win for kind of content removal online. And it could just make the process so much easier Mm -hmm. than it has been in the past. I
1: think it's what's interesting Uh, Of all of these three topics, is that kind of there is a certain civil society movement, yeah, uh, and it shows real effects. Mm. So it's either uh, shut down Pornhub and public pressure there. It's interestingly the other way around with OnlyFans and creators saying, "Hey, we want to keep you to keep pornographic content up," and here this initiative uh, for revenge porn. Um, that this should be further regulated.
0: I think think that's really cool. I think it's nice to see civil society having the kind of impact that it does now. And of course, the internet is one of the, biggest tools that has helped us be able to get our voices out there and be able to make petitions and get millions of people all over the world to sign them or write open letters that get traction and so on and so forth. So I think it's great. I think it's nice to see civil society pushing the envelope, whether it's for porn or against (laughs) porn. I think it's it's nice to see people's voices really being exercised and regulators taking it seriously. Mm. And I think
1: like that, The whole area of porn law is, um, there's a lot of movement there and it's getting taken
0: seriously more. And I think what's cool is how so much has changed in a year. Mm. Because lawyers, we know that things take a while, especially in the whole legal judicial process. It takes a while for change to come. But in the area of porn, what we've seen from 2020 to 2021 is massive changes, platforms making huge strides to Mm. make their um, platforms better for everyone and regulators taking it seriously. So it's really nice to see that. And I think that's why it was really cool to do this update.
1: Yeah, so a lot's happening in the area. And I think we'll keep you updated on what is happening. And maybe we'll do another update episode in a year or
0: so. All right. So thank you guys for listening. We'll be back with another episode coming soon as we round off and wrap up this year of Ars Equi.
1: Thank you for listening.